0: incoming transmission.
1: The Klingon word of the day is Jev.
0: These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise.
1: So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. they long and prosperous. Go where no man has gone before. Greetings and welcome to the Computer Resumed Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. After he and his wife put their kids to bed, he is the GM for Cosmic Crit's Journey Through Modifius's Star Trek Adventures TTRPG. Oh, Captain, my Captain! It's Drew Burris. Yeah. Hello. Drew Burris. Hello. Uh, what? What
0: good is any? Well, I, I, I count myself barely as captain because there wasn't <laughs> really a captain in that crew. I was more of the Q. that whole situation Uh, i think i that's a
1: good point i uh, i I think of the gm for that particular game as maybe more the admiral or the computer but i think you've got i think you're right like you're more of the q because you're kind of in control but you're like overseeing the whole thing so to to call (laughs) the gm the captain is kind of eh, it's not exactly it's not exactly accurate Correct, and
0: and I hope to return to that game with uh, our our security officer, uh, Space John Cena.
1: <laughs> it's it's so funny. I was thinking about it earlier today, and I was just like, my character is so I, like my playing experience is so weird because as a Star Trek fan, when we go into a scenario. I'm like, okay, we need to scan for this. We need to look for this. We need to, I'm going down the whole list. My character, however, is like, who can I stab? Where where <laughs> yeah, are they? Exactly. <laughs> who can I stab? What can I smash? So yeah. I'm i i am in a constant state of like trying to find that balance.
0: Well, and that's the thing I love about uh, Star Trek Adventures, the Modifius's game. Uh, we should call out the, you already called him out. I'm going to call him out again. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. We have a special guest that is joining us who wants to just kind of, kind of wave. Oh, I borrowed Mm -hmm. this and and I know this is an audio podcast. This is, uh, what is this? My name is. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Yeah. But who is
1: this? This is Gorn. Gorn. He's so adorable. Thank you for letting him join us on the show. Yeah. So I will, I will now happily tell you
0: about, uh, all of the Gorn stuff. Let me just say goodnight one moment. Yes, absolutely.
1: She's so cute. Uh,
0: So that is my daughter. Uh, I will thank you to cut out her saying her name on on air because uh, I do uh, I do keep her name pretty pretty private. But she is my uh, uh, she is my little Star Trek fan, and of that. Uh, I, uh, my wife has taken all of the blame and I've mentioned this on, uh, when we were doing our sort of pre-show when, when, uh, cause of course, Todd was part of our star Trek adventures campaign on, on cosmic crit, uh, that mm-hmm. you can go on YouTube and the cosmic crit website and find out all about is a lot of fun. I love that game. We'll get back yeah. to it one day. Anyway, uh, my, my wife gifted my kids star Trek, Trek, the halls last Christmas. And I know we are in the middle of summer but this book is fantastic. It is a Star Trek based Christmas book that <laughs> includes all sorts of stuff. There's a snow globe of the Gorn attacking Captain Kirk. And the whole I love idea, it. the whole idea of this is that a, the the little Gorn, has intercepted some subspace transmissions of holidays in the Federation, and the Big Gorn is there to teach him all about how the Federation is evil and bad. Uh, and it goes through all of the all of the different different eras of Star Trek. There's some TOS. That's Here's so great. some some TNG. Yes, they even get to. Uh, There's DS nine of all eras. There's Voyager of all eras uh, and, and up to and including uh, there's enterprise. I'm skipping pages uh, up to and including (laughs) Star Trek discovery, uh, including uh, Grudge the queen. I forget. I'm mirrored in this. There's grudge the queen. Uh, So it's, it's such a fun book and it made my child fall in love with the Gorn
1: so great i love uh, it
0: and because i show she loved the gorn so much she's always loved dragons and lizards and stuff like that she has become obsessed with the arena episode specifically
1: I love that. That's
0: so wonderful. <laughs> she she is she is obsessed with the Gorn. She loves them so much. I unfortunately can't show her some more of the more recent Gorn episodes of content. Of course. She does know they exist. I have shown her the Gorn wedding from Star Trek Lower Decks. That was my next question, which yep. <laughs> is which is which is very fun. And uh and she she's honestly mad that uh the Gorn are not included more again. You know. Um, but yeah. I'm gonna show you something. <laughs> I I showed you this before we started. This is is her drawing of Captain Kirk as a, a bunny, uh, yes. including the little top of the Starfleet Delta that's blocked by his arm. Um <laughs> It's also weird that's for a, me because I'm a. That's, I'm a how TNG. You know, that's how you know it's Kirk. <laughs> yeah, I'm a TNG guy. Uh, yeah, and, uh, m- more than a TOS guy. I love I love all Star Trek. Let's be Let's be honest, but uh, you know TNG was my childhood era. So she has not gotten as much into that. It is funny though. She refers to Captain Picard as Jean luc all the time. Oh. And I think it's because the book calls him that, so that's the name that she is associated with him. So oh that's Jean-Luc. It's like, oh, we're on a first name basis with first Starfleet's most basis. <laughs> Starfleet's most popular admiral. Um but I have a, a a one of many Gorn drawings that she has sent me. Yeah. And I believe if I had to guess this is after she watched the Gorn wedding episode of 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 Lower Decks or th- that scene of Lower Decks. I'm just going to show this to you because I have spent months trying to figure out what is happening here. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so you first have... of all, first of all, I love it. Secondly, if you don't get that tattooed on you, you're nowhere close to a Star Trek fancier.
0: So, So we have, we have one Gorn uh-huh. who is, who is sort of eyes closed, you know, Hiss. If I had to, if I had to, there are word bubbles on this. I know this is an audio podcast, so yeah, it's yeah. two Gorn and one of them is eyes closed, kind of his And there's another Gorn that looks, quite frankly, a little more desperate. And there is a heart here, so I'm assuming that this Gorn is professing its love to this Gorn.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, and But judging by this face, he's getting rejected. Oh, no. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Um, and I just have to say, you can tell it's a Gorn because they have the crosshatched eyes. Of course, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You I, I, I love this this picture so much. Um, it is one of my favorite pieces of my children's art that I have ever seen. And, I, I,
1: I am not kidding. If you get me like a decent scan of that, it will get prime placement on <laughs> the Computer Resume Podcast Instagram.
0: I will make sure that happens right after yes. we're done here.
1: <laughs> oh man yeah it's uh it's been a little while since we've talked um I hope you're I hope you're doing well
0: looks like you're uh, doing well. I'm doing okay, you know my 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 voice is in particular is really good um <laughs> I'm like he I'm like just
1: it's solid like from here to here is just solid. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if someone say asked you to perform 30 minutes of stand-up comedy, uh, you could absolutely do that without having drinks brought to you in the middle of your set, totally. without having to without having to restart bits, uh, 100%. without running out of air. Yeah, uh-huh. you, yeah, you, yeah, you'd be able to do that now, just fine.
0: Now, granted, I wouldn't get any laughs.
1: So that's the trade off. There that's is the
0: trade off. I can I can I can I can I can, stay, I can talk for 30 minutes, but yeah,
1: <laughs> no one's going to enjoy that.
0: No one's going to enjoy that.
1: <laughs> Well, you know, it's no secret. Strange New Worlds just started back. Um, we'll keep this spoiler-free for now, mostly for me because I haven't had a chance to watch the episode yet. I, I, it's all I want to talk about. So Todd is <laughs> is he's he's reined me in. The hits just lot. keep on coming, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, a lot of people I even saw online of like, "Hey, Strange New Worlds is starting back up." I understand Discovery's connected to it. How much do I need to watch before getting into Strange New Worlds? And it's kind of nice because you really only have two seasons of Discovery before, bam, Strange New Worlds hits hits the ground running. Um, and, and
0: really only one of those seasons is at all necessary to watching Strange New Worlds if you really wanted to.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that's hit on in season one is important. It is big character building stuff but it was sending discovery down a very particular path. And I have to think that a lot of the backlash against discovery was because that first season started a in such in such a dark place with yeah. the mutiny and death and destruction all around. And then as if that weren't enough, okay, now let's go to the mirror universe, which was even <laughs> darker.
0: <laughs> I, so, no, I, I am a, I am a, I love the mirror universe. I am. I am. I, I, I adore the mirror universe. There's really only one thing about Discovery's take on the mirror universe that I dislike.
1: Okay. Hit me with
0: it. Eye drops. It's never been a thing before.
1: (laughs) Why wasn't a
0: thing here. I I don't really, I don't really get why that was a whole thing because, you know, I've been on the mirror enterprise. It was brightly lit. It was totally fine. Maybe they solved the brightness problem uh, in the, in the, the, the 15 years between the two. Yeah. Um, I
1: think, you know, and I think I talked about this a little bit uh, back when we were covering um, discovery season one, I think at least on the surface level, a lot of the differences come between, I mean, because of what we know, the, the big, big things that we know about the mirror universe are what we're in TOS. Now, um, you know, Deep Space Nine had a big chunk that took place in the Mirror Universe, and that was a lot of fun. But everybody still kind of remembers TOS. But the TOS Mirror Universe s- still kind of came across as very like piratey and like campy 60s piratey, as opposed to Discovery, which was just there's a dagger waiting for you around every corner. <laughs>
0: like- <laughs> what, what, but I mean, I will also point out two of the best episodes of Star Trek Enterprise in a mirror yes. darkly parts one and um, two yeah uh, i've re-watched one of those episodes recently hazard a guess why <laughs> it features a gorn <laughs> <laughs> that's right i forgot about that uh, and, um, and, uh i i you know I'm, I'm i'm a sucker for for that universe but really my 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 i i have long st- said that while i have some issues with discovery hmm. it's more the 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 visual reboot stuff like the Klingons look completely different than any other Klingons we've ever seen. And I don't hate the way they look. I just I needed more of a reason why they looked that way, which is a dumb thing to say when it's talking about the the visual appearance of the Klingons who are the most that, that have the most differences in how they have appeared over these 50, 60 years of Star Trek. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, I understand that's not a fair
1: thing to call out necessarily. Well, it's to, to you know, to chime in on that. It's funny that you mentioned Star Trek Enterprise. Enterprise season four had a couple of arcs dealing not only with the Klingons, but the Klingons and the Augments and how that all came to play. And Manny Koto did such a great job, I thought, of, and of course, this was all. Pre discovery and pre um, Kelvin timeline, but I think he did a great job of saying like, okay, because of experimentation with the, with the augment uh, formula and human DNA and the Klingons, that's why you get certain Klingons that look the way they do. Now, how well that translates into later versions of Trek is a little bit dodgy. But it's yeah. kind of like, OK, at least they addressed it and they even address it further on down the line in Deep Space Nine. I believe we don't talk Worf. about it with outsiders. Exactly. We don't that talk was, about it with outsiders.
0: And, and 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 I think part of why I am like I, I've liked I liked those Enterprise episodes. It's a it's an explanation I didn't personally need, but I had fun with because of what because you know it was it was a fun way to to explain away and you got the brent spiner cameo as yes another soon or the same soon we've already met because we really don't know he could be immortal i don't know what the whole deal with that i love the fan theories around (laughs) uh around what what was he he wasn't inigo soon which soon it doesn't matter what soon he was he was yeah soon um right (laughs) but
1: uh but It it, it probably started with an a
0: yeah, but I guess my, 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 my real, my real sort of discovery, and and this is this, I'm going to say there are some things that I, I remember forgiving in my initial watching that I am not as kind to in my return to the show.
1: Okay, well, uh, let's, 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 before we get much further, let's take a couple of steps back and let's build up to this a little bit more. So we've got discovery season one. It's very dark. They were going down a very specific path and whether it was a decision in the writer's room, whether it was a decision in the uh, producer's office or because of all the fan, you know, before, well, because of all the d- fan d- out, d- outcry. D-
0: Discovery's production was troubled. The showrunner of the first season of Discovery exited the show. I, I, I don't remember all the details specifically, so I'm being kind in that
1: phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we actually discussed it we found the article we discussed a little bit in detail back a few episodes ago and um yeah it's unfortunate that it went down the way that it sounds like it did um but things are what they are i, I don't think any i i've i've said it before the fact that anything sees the light of day is just shy of a miracle for so, sure to hear that stuff was troubled behind the scenes is not a surprise. No, so, not
0: not in this light, especially with that particular creator's. Uh, it seemed to be kind of a theme for
1: some of, of his other works. A <laughs> little bit, a little bit. So we make the shift to season two, you know, season one finale. Discovery comes nose to nose with 1701. And now we just all oh, like everybody's brains melted. And we get Captain Christopher Pike taking the helm, leading the further adventures of Discovery in season two. And here we are at C- at episode six, The Sound of Thunder. And we are hip deep on this Red Angel investigation, um, search for Spock, for lack of better phrasing, um, and just trying to figure out all the things that are going down. Section 31 plays a big role. Um Staying spoiler free as much as you can. um, What were your memories of this episode and how have they changed on the rewatch for our discussion today? So my memories of this episode
0: is that this is a Saru focused episode and of the things that I think are the best things to come out of discovery. The character of Saru is one of them. Um, And this being a focus on, 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 his character uh and and all of the stuff associated with it, I remember really loving. I remember getting an explanation of a lot of the things for his backstory and meeting certain characters associated with that backstory. Um, all of that I really loved. And and for the record, do still love. And returning to the episode and i am going to keep this as spoiler free as i possibly can as i search for words and babble incoherently until i find them
1: <laughs> you're um, in a safe place man
0: there there are some specifics of the way that the story is told that i kn- i i that on a on a second watch i don't align with as positively
1: okay all right all right cuz i think you know so- Besides the things that I just mentioned, you know, we've got a smaller, a smaller, uh, story developing here with the return of Culber, uh, from the mycelial network. Which and, just,
0: which I wish I'd rewatched that episode too. Cause I had forgotten all of the stuff that happened with that.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's getting a little, it's getting a little tricky. His, his journey of his journey of. Death and then rebirth and rediscovering who he is, is such a fascinating, is such a fascinating track. I almost wish there was like a special like fan edited video of just Colbert dealing with Stamets and his death and rebirth. That was just that because it's such a, it's such a fascinating exploration of like the psychology behind it. And
0: that stuff continues even into season four of the show. Like, I, I don't want to talk too much about it in this episode, just because it's like, it's so fresh. They don't really, yeah, they don't solve anything with it, which is, which is fine. This is a serialized show. They have, you know, <laughs> other times to do it.
1: Oh yeah. So Although there is,
0: well, there's one, pretty, well, we're not in spoiler territory. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, okay. With, uh, with all of that being said, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antamano, Cosmic Crit, Kitty B, and David Willett. You want me to do it? I'll do the whole thing. I mean, do you want to? I was
0: a theater major, bro. I got this. Okay.
1: Spoiler alert.
0: Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. My people believe in the great balance. Or pray. Now I realize the great balance is a lie. Ships are powering up their weapons. Warm up the phasers. Whoever's listening, consider your next move very carefully. They're capable of destroying every village across the planet. They are committing genocide. In the ready room, Tyler meets with Burnham and Pike, informing them that Section 31 believes that if the seven signals were being generated by the Red Angel, it may also be capable of temporal incursions and dangerous. Pike points out that the two signals that Discovery has encountered resulted in rescue missions. Tyler counters that they could have also been catastrophes. Burnham ultimately agrees with Tyler that they know too little about its nature or motivations to draw conclusions. What they need, Pike says, Is Spock. Spock! Tyler mentions that Leland has put considerable Section 31 resources into the search and has come up empty and asked Burnham if there's somewhere, anywhere, they might not have thought to look. Before she can answer, Saru calls Pike to the bridge.
1: Whoa, that was close.
0: (laughs) Saru reports they've discovered another signal outside of Federation space. Owosakun pinpoints the coordinates to an M class planet and to Saru's utter shock, He recognizes it as Kaminar, his home world.
1: And on that note,
0: we cue the music. Discoveries at max warp to Kaminar, and not using the spore drive for some reason, while Saru briefs Pike, Burnham, and Tyler on the two species that call Kaminar home, his people, the Kelpians, and their predators, the Ba'ul. Burnham reports that the Ba'ul achieved warp drive capability 20 years earlier and made a hostile first contact with the USS Archimedes in response to a signal from Kaminar. Tyler asked why they attacked if they sent the signal. Saru admits that the signal had come from him and that he had created a transmitter with baul tech hoping someone would receive it that someone ended up being then lieutenant georgeau which was discussed back on episode 83 with comedian patrick cunningham both pike and burnham believe this isn't random discovery has taken an interest in the red angel and it's possible the entity is returning the favor i guess Tyler asks if there are any angels in Kelpian culture. Saru replies that his people believe only in the great balance, and they are taught that the Ba'ul are the keepers of the balance. The Ba'ul hide behind tech that maintains their mastery over the Kelpians. Burnham adds that the tech was also enough to keep Starfleet away, and that the Ba'ul by nature are isolationist and committed to preserving the status quo on Kaminar. Tyler remarks that they likely also saw the signal to which Pike suggests diplomacy tyler sarcastically asks if pike plans to ask nicely pike replies it wouldn't hurt
1: chip yeah, right
0: arriving at caminar detmer reports that they just missed the signal again pike orders bryce to hail the Ba'ul, and burnham scans the planet for anything resembling the red angel the Ba'ul don't respond but owosukun reports that they're scanning discovery's weapon systems only their weapon systems burnham can't find the red angel to which pike wonders why they're there tyler remarks that pike assumes the signals only appear for a reason. Pike confirms that, then wonders why the Ba'ul don't respond. Indignant, Saru mentions that every village on Kaminar has a priest who acts as an intermediary between his oppressors and the Kelpians, and connects to the extended communities. If the Red Angels been seen on Kaminar, they'd be the ones to ask. Tyler asks if that would violate General Order 1, to which Burnham replies that the Kelpians are aware of warp tech through the Ba'ul. Making official first contact with the Kelpians would be a judgment call, but she believes the mission to investigate the signals warrants it. Pike ultimately agrees and believes Burnham, a xenoanthropologist, would be the best choice to make contact. Saru protests as he feels he's the more logical choice because of his experience, and to disregard it would be to disregard the suffering of generations. Pike believes that makes him the most complicated choice, further angering Saru. Saru and Pike are about to fight when Burnham steps
1: in. Whoa, that was close.
0: (laughs) Saying that the Kelpians would have no knowledge of other inhabited worlds, so she would be a shock to them. Having Saru with her might be wise. Pike concedes and suggests they start with Saru's village. Saru and Burnham beam down to Saru's village, noticing a ba'ul pylon on the beach outside of the village center. Saru explains the Kelpians refer to them and their vast network as The Watchful Eyes. The village appears abandoned, but he explains that it was nearly nightfall and Kelpians rarely venture out in the dark. As Seru and Burnham enter the village, discussing Seru's family and people, the baul pylon activates. They spot a Kelpian priestess gathering flowers. Seru approaches, greeting her in the Kelpian language, and is astonished when he recognizes her as his sister, Serana. She's equally surprised to see him, thinking he'd been taken by the Watchful Eye for questions he shouldn't have asked. When she asks where he has been all this time, Saru elects to tell her the truth. With the Universal Translator, Burnham greets her, identifying herself as a human from Earth and that she worked with her brother on Discovery. Sarana seems overwhelmed at the idea of different life forms and space travel, then asks if humans from Earth drank tea. In her tent, Sarana pours them Fridalia tea, remarking they'd had a bountiful harvest. Saru remarks that she sounds like her father did and asks about him. She explains that he underwent Vaharai not long after Saru left. (coughs) Then she demands to know how he could leave and not tell them he was alive. Saru apologizes profusely, but Sarana, remarking that it would be a longer conversation, senses that he's here for another reason. Burnham and Saru explain the Red Angel. Sarana is outraged that Saru had returned following the Red Angel and not for her and excuses him of cowardice in not facing the balance as the rest of them have just then her threat ganglia extend and the ground begins to shake sarana believes the baul must have seen them and demands they leave when saru tries to explain himself she tells him to go back to the stars as there was no place for him on kaminar anymore the baul pylons begin activating which saru recognizes as a precursor for the baul harvest burnham contacts discovery to beam them back as they materialize in the transporter room, the ship goes to yellow alert as they're called to the bridge. As they enter, Pike remarks, whatever they did, the Ba'ul are hailing them now, audio only. Pike suggests it might be best for Saru to stay quiet before he orders the channel open and identifies himself. The Ba'ul claimed Discovery took something that belongs to them, Saru, and that Starfleet promised not to interfere with their planet. Pike explains they were investigating the signal that appeared over the planet, which might pose a threat to their balance. The Ba'ul replied that they'll allow Discovery to leave if they return Saru. Saru shouts that he is not theirs to be returned. Over Pike's objections, he identifies himself and that he knows the truth about Vaharai. When the Ba'ul reply, the great balance is the only truth, Saru calls it lies because he survived and knows that means evolution. An evolution that the Ba'ul murdered his people to suppress. Detmer then reports that 10 Ba'ul ships are on an intercept course. Pike orders, red alert. The Ba'ul ships are much larger than Discovery and surround them on all sides. And Reese reports they're powering their weapons. Pike orders them to arm phasers. He advises the Ba'ul to choose wisely. When they again demand Saru's return, Pike refuses as Saru is protected by the Federation the baul question if pike would risk his own people for one kelpian to which pike replies that saru is one of them and to protect him he'll do what's necessary the baul reply so will they saru knows the pylons are weaponized and pleads for help when pike orders him off the bridge all right saru goes to the transporter room relieves the transporter officer on duty and beams down to the surface Owosakun detects the transporter activity and Reese reports the Ba'ul were powering down weapons. Burnham goes to Tilly and Arium, who are still working on the info collected from the sphere, to see if the archives had anything that would explain why the Ba'ul were so determined to capture Saru when they found out he'd survived Vaharai. Burnham thinks the Ba'ul knows more about Vaharai than the Kelpians, and they'd do anything to keep it secret. Aboard the Ba'ul ship, Saru regains consciousness. A moment later, Serana is transported aboard, confused as to why the watchful eye had taken her, as it was not yet her time. She asked Seru why he'd come back. Everyone else had accepted that he was dead, but Serana had seen the Archimedes going to warp and became a priest to seek that light. She said his face was beautiful to her, but that she also hoped she'd never see it again, because that would mean Seru was free. Then, a trio of Ba'ul drones float into the room, one of which slams through against the wall where he's shackled at the wrists and neck. All right! From a pool in the center of the room, a figure rises from within, a Ba'ul. Burnham and Tilly realize why the truth about Vaharai threatens the Ba'ul. According to the sphere's data, 2300 years earlier, the post-Vaharai Kelpians actually greatly outnumbered the Ba'ul, driving them to the verge of extinction. The Ba'ul were originally the prey species, which meant that the evolved Kelpians had been the predators. Meanwhile! Struggling against his restraints, Seru's evolution results in spikes protruding from where his threat ganglia had once been, and then shoot out at the Ba'ul, who is protected by a force field. Sucks! The Ba'ul remarks that Seru was the first Kelpian to pass Vaharai in more than 2,000 years, But his primal, feral responses remained the same as centuries ago, and that the Federation didn't know what it had welcomed into their ranks. Great. The Great Balance, the Ba'ul claim, is the only way to keep the Kelpians from destroying everything in their path. Saru rejects the Great Balance as a lie, calling them frail and helpless without their tech. The Ba'ul won't allow the past to be repeated, and as Saru and Sarana are the only two Kelpians to know the truth, they will be neutralized. The Ba'ul then retreats into its pool as the drones move in, one with a bladed drill to bore into Saru's skull. Another pins Sarana to the wall, locking her in her restraints. With a newfound strength fueled by rage, Saru breaks free and smashes the drones before freeing Sarana. She asks if he'd survived Vaharai, Saru confirms. Sarana realizes the Great Balance was a lie, meant to stunt the Kelpians' evolutionary growth. And it must end, Saru says, as he searches the wreckage of the drones for parts. Burnham and Tilly report their findings to Pike, just as Bryce reports that the Ba'ul are hailing them again. They're relieved to hear Saru's voice, reporting that he's with Serana, but with no indications as to where. Owosakun can't locate him on sensors either. Saru believes that he must somehow demonstrate to both his people and the Ba'ul alike what they could become, just as Saru had been. Tilly recalls the sphere had triggered Saru's Vaharai, but Saru believes the process must be accelerated before the Ba'ul take action. Burnham believes if they isolate the frequency the sphere transmitted, it could speed up the biological response just as it had for Saru. Pike has reservations. The Federation could not be responsible for the extinction of the Ba'ul. Burnham points out that the Ba'ul still had vast technological superiority, which would take the Kelpians' generations to catch up to. Saru admits he cannot prove it, but he believes this is why the signal brought them to Kaminar. I guess. Pike ultimately agrees. Tilly finishes setting up the signal and transmits the frequency to Saru. Saru explains to Sarana that this will trigger Vaharai for everyone, and that it would be incredibly painful, then activates the signal. Sarana begins screaming in agony, collapsing into his arms as she begins Vaharai. Burnham reports that the sphere's transmission has triggered Vaharai in 63% of Kelpians and rising meanwhile awosukun detects a massive disturbance from the lake near saru's village at least 50 kilometers in diameter the baul stronghold begins to rise from the water to the lake protected by a powerful force field sucks burnham believes that could possibly be where saru and sarana are being held great pike orders reese to lock weapons on the stronghold shields the baul activate the pylons in every kelpian village with an energy buildup capable of killing them all an indignant Pike orders Bryce to hail them and Reese to shift targeting to the pylons. The Baul don't respond. But Pike orders an open channel anyway, declaring that he'll not allow the Baul to wipe out an entire race. Starfleet would even help negotiate a new balance, but if they chose genocide, they'd become enemies of the Federation. Detmer reports all 4,056 pylons in every Kelpian village have been activated, too many for Reese to target at once. Pike nonetheless orders photon torpedoes armed. As the Stronghold begins sending energy pulses to the pylons, a burst of energy flies into it from the signal in orbit. Within the Stronghold, Saru sees the Red Angel with his own eyes. A moment later, a powerful electromagnetic pulse disables the Stronghold's weapons and shields and deactivates the pylons all across Kaminar.
1: How convenient!
0: Aboard discovery, Detmer remarks that the tech required for a pulse that wide should be impossible. Pike and Burnham exchange glances, knowing that this was the work of the Red Angel. Within the stronghold, Saru and Sarana stare for a moment at the Red Angel before it disappears in a burst of flame. In the distance, the Ba'ul pylon in Saru's village explodes.
1: And there was much rejoicing.
0: Returning to the village the following morning, Saru and Sarana find the villagers confused some still holding their ganglia. One asks Serana how they'd survived Vaharai, to which Serana replies the truth had survived, and that it was time to restore a true balance, one without fear. In the mess hall, Pike slides a pad to Tyler, Saru's report shared in the spirit of cooperation. Thanks to Saru's enhanced eyesight, he was able to get a good look at the Red Angel, describing it as a humanoid in a mechanized suit with access to extremely advanced tech beyond current Federation capabilities. Tyler remarks that Control, Section 31's Threat Assessment AI program, is probably rightfully alarmed at what could possibly be a time traveler with its own agenda, manipulating the fates of entire species. I guess. They debate for a moment regarding the merits of their actions in terms of avoiding or perhaps causing another war. Tyler concludes that the last war had taken a toll on those who had fought it, a subtle jab at Pike. And some of us are still torn apart before taking Saru's report and leaving Pike alone in the mess hall. Meanwhile! In Saru's quarters, Sarana looks down at Kaminar, mesmerized. Saru remarked he'd felt the same way the first time he had seen his world from orbit. Sarana notes that he took home with him, noting the various native plants that he had in his quarters. Saru invites Sarana to come with him. She refuses, as her people needed her, with a long road. Getting from bed before Kelpian and Ba'ul would accept each other. Nevertheless, she's glad that Saru didn't leave in fear, but in hope, and that he had brought that hope back, he and the Red Angel. In the transporter room, Sarana invites Saru to return home whenever he would like, which Saru promises he will before she is beamed back to her village. Saru turns to Burnham and thanks her for her help. Burnham is reminded of a Greek quote, He who learns must suffer, and even in our sleep pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop from the heart
1: whatever that means
0: she then admits that seeing saru with Serana taught her one thing she needs to go home to vulcan i don't
1: care so uh first of all thank you so much for doing that <clears throat> um but i wanted to get into a couple of different things here um let's start uh with something fairly light uh i wanted to ask you because the Ba'ul are pretty scary <laughs> they're pretty they're scary super, they're super creepy i personally i have not been um scared of a star trek enemy like that since armus like armus was creepy too see i um,
0: I, I, I don't armus never scared me Um, I don't know what it was, but it might have been production values. I don't know what it was. I started watching TNG in its initial TNG run. Um, Okay. But in like season, well, this is something that I've said multiple times and I will say again, I don't know what the first episode of Star Trek I ever saw is. I know that it was a next generation episode. I know that it was past episode 100 because I watched it while the show was in syndication, uh, like nightly syndication meaning that it had to be beyond episode 100 to get to that point, which would have probably put it in like episode four or season four or five. Yeah, that sounds Um, about right. And I know that I saw a a season three and later episode first, because I remember going back and seeing season one and two episodes and thinking the uniforms looked weird. Meaning that I started with like the main known TNG uniform. But other than that, and, and I also know, that I definitely watched Star Trek before Deep Space Nine aired because I remember watching Deep Space Nine's premiere, which was what season
1: five of TNG. Mm, yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah.
0: So, so um, I, uh, yeah, I, it's it's something I will never know. I will never remember what the first episode of Star Trek I've ever seen is, and it, it breaks my heart in a certain way. But also, it's been such a huge part of my life that it doesn't bother me too much. Um, so, with that said. Um, The creepiest thing that I, the the scariest thing that I've ever seen in Star Trek is the specifically first contact
1: board. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. I I think where I'm coming from with Armus is that no eyes, no mouth. And I mean, it's, it's goo, but it's, it it killed. I think, I think because it was powerful enough to break that trope of like, well, it's main cast. They're not gonna kill anybody in the main cast. Right. And then they it, do. It, and it's it, like it it adds a level of of of, um, of urgency to whatever's happening because you're like, oh, nobody's safe. And, so, and you know that,
0: that that's probably another reason why I wasn't as scared of Armas because when I started watching Star Trek, Tasha Yar was already dead. So, uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so I kind of knew something happened to her, and this was just what happened to her.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, production-wise, how cool! Are the Super.
0: Ba'ul? And, and the one of the things I love most about it is that it is the Ba'ul that we see was a practical effect. Not a CG effect, which is yeah. really, really impactful.
1: Yeah, I, uh, you know, diving in a little bit deeper, and we'll get to this, but yeah, everything That's cause, that is that because they live
0: underwater or under whatever black goop they
1: go. <laughs> right, right. It, but it's it's such a cool effect, and I mean, you and I are both, I think, of the same mind that digital should enhance practical, not yes. replace. Practical. Correct. And when you, when you make. Yeah, when you make that step in replacing physical with digital, you're making a cartoon. And that's it, you know. If
0: if, the, if they had tried to make a scary goop monster with digital effects, it would have looked bad. Yeah. It, w- yeah, it, it absolutely would, would it, have. it would have looked uh, in a mirror darkly part two gorn CG bad. And yeah. that they didn't do that. I mean the 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 weird little hover, you know, devices I think were partially CG or mostly CG, that's fine. But that that creature, the Baul <laughs> creature, had to be had to be a practical effect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, here Discovery just knocking it out knocking it out of the park um on the production side. Now you mentioned like where you were disconnecting with stuff um is in some of the look of things, did that continue in this episode? Or was it just more of like a general comment about Discovery?
0: General, comp- I mean, when I talk about things not looking right, I'm talking specifically about the Klingons. The way that the okay. Klingons, like, the Klingons look different. Their ships look different. They have like massive, never before seen ships that can also yeah. cloak. That can also cloak before we know to cloaking devices and balance of terror. You know, yeah. this is just, this is me. You know, tightening my nerd tie as I as I <laughs> nitpick. Uh, which did you ever read the Nitpicker's Guide to Star Trek? Do you remember those books? No. So Do the nitpick-
1: nitpickers guide.
0: So the, the no, nitpickers I've got, guide. I've
1: got, I've got a couple of the encyclopedias. I think
0: the nitpickers guide to star Trek were not, uh, there weren't official books. They were, they were, uh, like a, a fan who would go through and watch every episode of star Trek and then pick out all the, the weird things. Like there's <laughs> one particular episode of next generation. I look for this every time and I believe they've actually fixed it in the HD re-releases uh-huh. in, uh, TNG unification part two. You know the very famous Next Generation Spock episode. Yeah, there is, there is a on the on the desk in in the Romiel and Sila's office. There is this, uh, uh, green sort of tall structure, and in that in that thing, you can see the reflection of a dude off screen, and he's just like. <laughs> going going just opening his mouth looks like he's chewing gum and it's it's stuff like that that those books were all about um just like whenever you could see like in the early early seasons of tng when you could see just literal a black uh construction paper posted in the backs of scenes because they couldn't figure out how to not have lights reflecting off of that stuff it's it's that (laughs) stuff just the silly little nitpicking thing oh yeah Uh, but uh yeah, um, I don't have that. I don't have that issue in this episode. And I, I again, I think the production value of Discovery and really all of the the Paramount Plus era Star Treks or CBS All Access as it was when this season came out. <laughs> That's right. I subscribed then too. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, I, I know people hate on the Discovery uniforms. I actually really like the Discovery uniforms. I think they look really cool. Yeah. Whether or not they fit into the timeline of this or that or whatever, I don't care about that. I, that That is one that I do not care
1: about. <laughs> I thought the uniforms were actually a really nice step between what they had in Enterprise. And then, I mean, again, at the time, there wasn't anything else other than Discovery. But The Discovery Uniforms being the step between Enterprise and eventually TOS. And then, you know, now that we've expanded to include Strange New Worlds and they have a variation of that, and even that variation has gone through a couple of different changes. Yeah. um, It is kind of nice to see the progression over time.
0: It's cool, especially like as, as weird as I think they are looking at them right now, like when when Pike first jumps on in the first couple of episodes of season two, there's a yeah. Constitution class version of the of the uh, of of the Discovery uniforms, but they're in the gold, blue and red colorations that I think was a nice like, oh, while the rest of Starfleet had these blue and 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 copper and gold and silver uniforms, the the connie guys, the connie class, they had those iconic uniforms, and it's like, uh-huh. okay, I'm okay with that. I like I like that uh, as a as an extension. I thought that was fun. Yeah, um, there's honestly only one thing I dislike about any of the uniforms of Paramount Plus Star Trek, and it's actually a JJ Abrams verse problem. Really, does, does every Starfleet uniform need to have the Starfleet Delta? pattern embedded into every facet of the uniform. It drives me crazy. Uh, Um Star Trek Beyond didn't do that. And I was like, yes, excellent. (laughs) These uniforms look so much better. But you know, it's it's a small, it's a small criticism.
1: Because I think I, I think they kind of started doing that. I think the first time I remember something like that was I think one of the newer Superman movies where they had the the Kryptonian S shield in a small pattern interesting to create texture on the uniform. I want to say it was Superman returns. Is the first I time have to, did.
0: I'd have to go back and look at that. It's it's I've never, I've I've only ever noticed it in star Trek because they made a big deal to point it out. in all of the 2009 star Trek uh, yeah, <laughs> production yeah. and stuff. I get,
1: and I get because everything is in HD and you kind of want to give you, you, you do want that texture and difference of fabric to come across on camera um it could have been accomplished with dots could have been accomplished with just a hexagon pattern um but yeah i mean it's it's a choice it's a choice somebody Uh, got somebody got paid to do it (laughs) good for them
0: (laughs) uh, you know another thing i'll say because uh another another little uh well you know what it's We could be venturing into strange new world spoiler territory with what I was about to say. All right. All right. Well, let me just, let me just put it, let me just put it this way. I don't know that this is going to happen at all, but you remember in in the original series, how, when you met somebody from another ship, like when the constellation shows up or uh, anything like that, they had a different badge. Yeah. Are there, if, if anybody shows up from a different ship. Are their uniforms going to have that badge embedded into the texture of the fabric, or is it still going to be the Starfleet Delta?
1: That would be an interesting detail. I I hope they take that into account. Well, I mean, they they probably will for
0: production cost
1: reasons. I was about I was about to <laughs> say, okay, let's put the producer hat on for a second. No, that's not going to happen, and that's going to be way too expensive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so. In terms of now, like before, we started to roll. You had mentioned that getting back into discovery, you were having this was making you less excited about these episodes. They they weren't holding up as well as you remembered. What was it this time around, as opposed so, to your first experience? So again, when I talk
0: about the character growth aspects of this show, th- there is there I, I I love all of that. Like as a Saru episode, I love that, and specifically. When, when Captain Pike is being ta- tasked by the Baul, you would risk your own people for one Kelpian, and he responds, "This Kelpian is our people." It's like, yes, that is perfect. That is excellent. That is what a Starfleet captain should do. Yeah. My 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 problems with this is th- with this episode are really down to some just weird phrasing, and, and it's even and 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 I and I read through the the recap of this kelpians going through Vaharai is not evolution they are not pokemon (laughs) this is this is not how evolution works and and that you have all of these decorated starfleet officers referring to this evolution which is not i mean it is it is a a biological change in the kelpians it is an enhancement it's a whatever you want to call it but that's not evolution and it's like that, that, that but and again I blame Pokemon specifically for the use of that phrase because that is how evolution works in the Pokemon video games. Oh, uh, you know, Saru evolved from a Kelpian into a Kelpitar or whatever it would be, but uh, <laughs> but that's, that's 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 not that's not a that's not how evolution works, and they say it so assuredly, like. Even when they're going back, th- this is where all the evolved Kelpians are. It's like no, those are not evolved Kelpians. Those are just Kelpians that have gone through Vaharai. It's a different phrase. Again, I know that could sound like a nitpick, and probably is. Um, but there are there is scientific uh, 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 like things that I ignore. Like I ignore warp drive. I ignore the mycelial network because those are also fake things that don't exist. But you know what? It makes sense in the context of us not knowing how this technology from a couple of hundred years in the future works. Right. Right. But we do know how evolution works and that this is not it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so is it, is Vahari closer to, is it closer to puberty or yes. is it closer to like menopause? Like, is it. Uh,
0: so another thing, and and this is really another thing that was weird to me about this is that we were taught about Kelpians. that They were specifically a prey species. Yeah. As if they were hunted and then fed upon. Okay. In up to and including Mirror Universe Empress Georgiou feeding Kelpians to her people.
1: Right, right.
0: But here it appears that the Kelpians only har or they should the Baul only harvest Kelpians that are going through Vaharai. And that is it's a it's a little bit of a retcon doesn't bother me too much, but it's just like Because I like the idea. I like that. Oh, the Kelpians go through this Vaharai and then they become like elite super BA predators that can shoot spikes from their necks. I'm into that. Yeah. But it's also ignoring and retconning the stuff that we have seen before in within Star Trek Discovery, which is already a show that retcons a lot of other stuff. It's just like, I'm not quite as into it this time. But that's but but again, I, I I can get over that. That also doesn't bother me. Uh, there there's really only honestly two other things that I, I one I have to nitpick. Um, yeah yeah, let's get into it. When they're going through the sphere data, they whatever however they showed the the numbers of the population made mm-hmm. it look like there were only a hundred thousand ba'ul on the planet at its peak, and it's like that that there's like. There was like a digit and a comma and three zero and three zeros. And it's like this. I don't know how this math is working again. That is a super nitpick. I get that (laughs) 100%. (laughs) I get that. Um, Only other real nitpick that I have um, is that uh, when the pylons activate and Pike is immediately shoot photon torpedoes at all those pylons, all those pylons that are in the middle of all these villages, like five feet hovering above the ground. It's like, well, you know, Pike, if the if the bubble aren't going to kill all the Kelpians, maybe you can, bro. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: yeah, I don't know. It's just (laughs) like if you said phasers wouldn't have batted an eye, but photon torpedoes shooting into these villages. Okay, Um, all right. But yeah, that's (laughs) that's all my negatives out of the way.
1: So, so me and my adventuring party were in this crowded room. What are we gonna do? (laughs) Well, I'm gonna fireball. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Um, Any any other any other issues before we move on?
0: No, I think I I also think that the the sphere sending out a signal that causes this massive change is also a little weird, but it. it, I mean, it's a little convenient, but you know what? There's, there's plenty of stuff in star Trek that moves at the speed of
1: plot. And I'm fine with that. That one. Yeah. <laughs> forgiven. Forgiven. Let me ask you this about, you know, getting a little bit deeper into some of the themes of this episode. We're both in the South, Southeast, um, here in Greenville. Greenville is known as the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, I want to talk about religious deception for a second and how, blind faith, especially coming from, you know, where uh, the Baptist Christian faith is so prevalent here. Um, I was raised in it. I don't know that I've ever asked you your background with faith or any of that. It's none of my business, but
0: (laughs) I mean, I I will say I, I kinda is the thing. I I went through a number of years where we did not attend any services. And then my parents realized when I was in middle school and oh, we didn't go to any church services. We better correct this. And, uh, (laughs) you know, we're, we're, we're not, you know, we were never super, you know, conservative anything like that growing up, which is a rarity in, in the Southeast. But, uh, but it does also, I think it's also one of the things where I I watched Star Trek before I ever went to church. So
1: (laughs) yeah, there you go. It's, it's one (laughs) of those things where I know I was kind of like, this is what we believe. This is what the book says. So this is what we do. This is how we live. And then I know for me going to going from Christian school to public high school was a big culture shock. And then getting into law enforcement kind of opened my eyes to more things. And as I got older, started to take in more of what was around me and analyze and assess and come to some conclusions about some things. Do you have any thoughts about what parallels there are to be made about our society, or at least a section of our society, blindly being led down a path without questioning it, be it religious, political, or other? So this is this is one of those
0: things that th- th- that concept in at its very core is a classic Star Trek idea. How many times did... Captain Kirk and Bones and Spock beamed down to a planet where stuff like this was going on, where they they had based their entire culture on <laughs> on a book that had been left there 200 years ago or right, on right. a computer that had run amok or or this and that. Uh, and and I, I mean, I think it's, it's also notable that Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry himself was a, a pretty well-known atheist and pretty vocal about that subject. Well,
1: I, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> there is a book out there called the gospel. According to star Trek. Um, I was lucky enough to interview the author, Kevin C. Nice here on the show. And I bought a copy of his book and devoured it cover to cover. And he unvery very unbiasedly analyzes a lot of the conversations and interviews. The first-hand interviews with Gene Roddenberry, and he came to the conclusion, and cited all of his sources, which are available to the public, that Gene Roddenberry was not actually an atheist. He was against religious charlatans, which is a fine, dis- which is a fine distinction to make. For sure, but it, it is it is very easy to draw the conclusion that he was an atheist. But if you look at it a little bit deeper, he was more about. He was not into televangelism and the people who are just raking in millions and millions of dollars under the guise of religious uh, highest living. Yeah, weird. Uh, so, we're anyway, we're, we're sorry, having this... sorry to detract, but no, there, that's okay. Just wanted uh, also, to put that out there.
0: Also interesting. We're having this conversation this particular week in the real world. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> but but that is but that is one thing that you know a. a a, a lot of Star Trek is about challenging these sort of human ideas. Right. Like, right. Star Trek has always been – well, I should say up to a point, Star Trek has always been about confronting humanity with our own faults by using morality plays based around aliens.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, in a and, nutshell, and, that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and in this one, I feel like there's, there's on some level – some of that i don't know that it is as deftly handled as it has been in the past or okay. will be in the future with some of yeah. that stuff yeah. because i because some of this stuff just because we're using saru which is a character that we have a defined like this is what this alien species is that granted he doesn't know a lot about he doesn't know what he doesn't know and i i think that the the Vaharai episode that comes a couple of episodes before this or just right before it. I can't remember specifically anymore. Um, I think that may be a little stronger in that regard uh, as we, because we're focused with one person being, being confronted with that, that that change that they have feared their entire life that turns out to be not just fake, but also that change is a complete boon to what he becomes and and this episode does focus a lot on him discovering who he is after this and that is also important to that process we see him getting angry which we've seen saru annoyed in the past we've seen saru you know uh, you know affronted we've seen him you know uh, angry that burnham has done something that he doesn't like or all of this stuff but he's always still been he's always had that the threat ganglia kind of holding him back and in this one i can't remember if he was super strong before or if this is a result of post vahara uh
1: i remember he he burnham and tyler were on that planet and he could run really fast i remember that
0: i would hope that a dude that's nine foot 12 could run super fast (laughs)
1: yeah um yeah but i don't know that the super strength came into play just just yet but yeah, it certainly does here. But, well, the, but the but the anger specifically is what we see coming out here
0: a lot. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and and I almost wish that we had a little bit of a buffer where we see that anger coming out a little more naturally in the character before we get it whole hog in this episode. Yeah, again, no hindsight's twenty twenty. You know
1: what are you going to do? Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think it's interesting. Um, Star Trek, it, just to kind of you know put a cap on it like Star Trek has always commented on very uh important issues be it social political religious economic whatever um and but I feel like each show was kind of re- naturally restricted in a way like TOS commented on those things but they couldn't speak past the 60s they were they were right at a very particular time they could talk about the past but they couldn't obviously see into the future next gen same thing they could comment on the past but they really couldn't talk past the 80s and 90s so on down the line now you get into Enterprise which is much further in the production but here on this show it's the first thing we watched in light of 9 11 things changed and you know they were commenting on a on a completely different era long before the TOS, could comment less. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it's,
0: it, 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 it's, it's one of those weird things about Star Trek and it's honestly yeah. you saying that makes me wonder why. So uh, one of the biggest criticisms, but this is, this is strange. Star Trek, stranger world season one. One yeah. of the weirdest criticisms is that when you go to the bridge of the enterprise, there's usually only like three people on the bridge. Yeah. And the reason for that, in the real world is because they were shooting during, covid protocols and they couldn't have a bunch of people on the bridge right it's odd to me that they never took an opportunity to comment on that to to make that a thing in the show and part of that i think is because in the real world today i think we were all just
1: tired of hearing about it in everything and so maybe that was a smart move yeah because you know if they were going through it right then and there Again, I'll make the comparison to Enterprise. Like 9-11 happened two weeks before season one dropped. So I don't think now, granted, I don't think it take, we're gonna take
0: two years for them to get to the 9-11 themed plot.
1: <laughs> exactly. They didn't really start <laughs> discussing 9-11 till two years till, until season three. Uh the the Zindi war is them commenting on 9-11. So, I mean, if we follow the same track, it might not be season two, but maybe season three or four of strange new worlds knock on wood that we get there and the show is just as good as it is now
0: season three is on pause because of the writer's strike unfortunately but yeah yeah
1: Yeah. um but if you know the show continues there may be an instance there may be like a season-long arc of some type of illness something that hits starfleet we don't know. I mean or
0: or, or or there will be one episode this season that handles it very deftly and that we just haven't seen it yet. So I mean Yeah. Yeah. that could be that's, that's that's that is honestly one of the things that I think and as much as I mean, I love Deep Space Nine, uh, but one thing that you know we we when you have a more episodic show like the original series, like Next Generation, like Strange New Worlds, right, they can they can tackle some of those things a little more deftly because they can put all their focus on that one concept for just this episode and then move on. Yeah. So that's something that Discovery and it doesn't really have that room to do as much in the way yeah. that they've that they've worked on it at least.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, with straight with the structure of Strange New Worlds being episodic with serialized character arcs cuz that was the big pitch for Strange yes. New Worlds. While Discovery is from the word go serialized. It is one continuous story. Those while those two structures are apart, I think if Discovery were to handle it, it would be something like The Red Angel or The Mirror Universe or The Burn. Uh, which is coming down in in this podcast. It's coming years (laughs) and years from now. But but in terms of like strange new worlds, would that be something that they would actually look more to Deep Space Nine, Voyager, where it's an overarch, but they are doing things within the contagion of whatever space COVID they encounter. And that's just kind of the... Oh, now we're operating under these under this thing that's overarching, but we're we're still having our individual episodes. I don't know. I don't know. I
0: don't know. Um, I I would see it I would see in in traditional Star Trek fashion. I would see them coming across an alien race that is going through some sort of pandemic and relating the way that the people of that planet are experiencing that pandemic to the way that humans on this planet did a couple of years ago you've got the you've got the hard line like isolation like let's ever get everybody off the streets and you know all of this and you've got the people denying and going about their lives if nothing is different and and there will be some median thing that happens to get everybody to get along and probably because the doctor will create a
1: cure to the illness that will make it not a problem to begin with (laughs) yeah maybe yeah maybe um well you know we could wonder back and forth about all this stuff all day long oh you know what before we move further um talking about strange new worlds and people that have appeared on discovery uh and strange new worlds you actually saw pike and spock and nurse chapel uh last year at uh dragon con you yes. and i you and i both were in that panel
0: yeah uh i i that panel i forgot you were there oh my gosh it's been because it's been almost a year um yeah yeah so (laughs) so, uh that that panel was so good i i love the cast of strange new worlds and uh anson mount as christopher pike is the best thing to come out of live action star trek since the the new days yeah that's high that's high praise that's very high he he is he is so charming and so good in the role and yeah. he cares he loves it and yeah. i remember him i remember him telling the story about when the day that he went into the recording booth to do adr yeah uh, uh just adr on the show and that's when they happened to drop on him that for the opening of strange new worlds he was going to do the the the, opening the
1: monologue yeah
0: the monologue the opening star trek monologue yeah and how he broke down in the recording booth because he was shocked that it was going to happen like that. Um, And, uh, and, and, and just so much, so much charm, so much joy and love coming out of that guy. He is so happy to be there. And I'm, I, and honestly it's because of this season. Like I, I mentioned captain Pike because he is so good in this season. Yeah. he was so good in season two of Star Trek Discovery that fans, us, we clamored for more of him, and we got it. yep, and it's great.
1: And uh, yeah, not only did we get it, <laughs> but it was so good. <laughs> I mean,
0: it's it's a perfect storm. Similarly, Ethan Peck as Spock, like that is a dude
1: that um, he just i I like big I, shoes to fill and he fills them well like he like dude is a, crushing it a crushing couple of sets
0: a couple of sets of big shoes to fill honestly i prefer yeah. his performance to zachary quinto's and i like zachary quinto's performance as spock in the abrams movies yeah yeah and peck is is really really good and uh jess bush is nurse chapel that's the standout character in strange new worlds she's so fantastic the only thing the only thing that I think uh, uh, is not great about her character is that you have to somehow justify that her character becomes Major Barrett's character in the original series. And like, yeah, you know? yeah,
1: yeah. Like her character is so great, so outspoken and so watchable and just all of the positive, all of the positive adjectives.
0: She steals every scene she's in. She's yeah, so she really cool. does excellent and her and her and ethan peck's chemistry as chapel and spock is just oh
1: oh yeah it's so good
0: yeah um, uh, well speaking of people on strange new worlds i gotta i got a bomb drop well it's not really a bomb drop but uh there's a connection to strange new worlds and this episode that you don't know yet oh is
1: that in the new season
0: uh, it's in the brand new episode that just aired today
1: damn it (laughs) i'm gonna
0: drop it on you anyway because 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 it's not a story spoiler um the act the actress who plays saru's sister in this episode plays a character in the episode of strange new worlds the season two premiere uh that just aired today
1: okay all right cool
0: and i want to know if you can figure
1: out who she is (laughs) oh (laughs) well i look forward to being confused (laughs) Well, listen, folks, we, of course, shower these people with love. We are such big fanboys, even if we are nitpickers. It just means we care. It just means we love. But as we do every week, we ask the question, who do we blame? This episode was written by Bo Yon Kim and Erica Lippold. Uh Their last episode was... Discovery Season 1, Episode 9, Into the Forest I Go, which we discussed with former naval engineer of the real USS Enterprise, Michael LeBlanc, back on Episode 95. That's awesome. This episode was directed by Douglas Arniokoski, whose last episode was Disco uh, Season 1, Episode 6, Lethe, which we discussed with the creator of the Star Trek Chronology Project, Jason Keener, back on Episode 92. Uh, but the most interesting guest that I saw uh, in my research was Mr. Javier Botet or Botet. I'm not sure. I'm I'm pretty sure it's Botet. Eh, might be Botet. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, he is credited as old creature, but it's basically he is the one Baul that we see. Um, he was born in Ciudad Real, uh, which is a municipality of Spain. Uh, he was diagnosed with Marfan syndrome at age five. In short, he's double jointed, but he is... has to be, he'd have to be in some of that spine work. to. Get... Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, he is six foot seven, 123 pounds. Just as a comparison, Doug Jones, who plays Saru, Doug Jones is six, four, 140 pounds. So if that gives you a little bit of a, an image taller and skinnier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now this guy has over a hundred acting credits with another half dozen, uh, on the way. So to save time, I'll just say his resume reads like here's everything. Doug Jones didn't have time for, <laughs> <laughs> but here are some of the highlights. 2013 mama 2015 crimson peak 2016, the conjuring Two. 2017, The Mummy, 2018, Slender Man. 2019, It Chapter 2, and coming this August, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which anybody recognizes that the Demeter was the ship that transported Dracula from Transylvania to England. So if that kind of gives you an idea of what that movie is going to be about, I'm really looking forward to it. That sounds
0: yeah. good. <laughs> that sounds really good.
1: Uh, one little thing I did find out about this the Kelpian language as spoken in this episode was created by Mark Okrand who previously crafted the Vulcan language and Klingonese and oh. I learned that it's actually Klingonese not Klingon which <laughs> means I have to change my intro for the show <laughs> you know I feel like Klingonese is you know
0: it's 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 interchangeable you could do you could do either
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Didn't Scotty work on some of the Klingon language as well? He did. Good yeah. pull.
1: Yeah, he absolutely did. I actually. James Doohan,
0: Jimmy Doohan.
1: Yeah, Jimmy Who, Doohan actually also also stuff. uh stormed the beaches on D Day like a badass. Absolutely. For, yeah. For sure. Um. Yeah, I actually recently asked that question of Brent Black, the writer of *Con the Musical* and uh he was just he was just surprised to find that out but yeah so drew maybe as we do each week i'm I was sorry as you say
0: maybe uh maybe skip your klingon klingonese duolingo lessons for a couple of days just to get that throat back yeah, in shape
1: i gotta get that throat back in shape man <laughs> <laughs> so as we do every week we ask the question is this essential viewing if somebody's sitting down working their way through star trek and they come to this episode is this one that they can skip or is this a must-see episode?
0: This is a must-see episode. I know I had a lot of, of negative things to say about it, but I just I want to say that the things that I was saying are extremely nitpicky. The story of this episode, the concept of what this episode is for Saru as a character and for the Kelpians as a people, and for what it will mean to the future of Star Trek Discovery specifically, but potentially Star Trek as a whole in the coming years is huge. Um, and, and, and that you, you can't, if you skipped this one, you're going to be like, wait, what's the deal with the guy with the stuff at the back of his head? You know, well, just, <laughs> I guess true. of So many Star Trek aliens, I should be more specific, <laughs> but uh, no, this, this one is, and, and I mean, I, I honestly didn't say enough about Doug Jones. I love Doug Jones yeah. as Saru and as he seems to be just a stand-up cool awesome dude yeah. in real life. Our, our 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 friend Miles uh that that both of us know and who introduced the two of us together has mm. uh, this this story about meeting Doug Jones and then Doug Jones remembering his name a few days later out of all the hundreds of people he had met. Um it's it's like that is a I, I wanted to say stand up dude, but then I realized that dude's like eight foot 13 and <laughs> even sitting down, he's probably taller than I am. But uh, he's 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 such a he's such a good guy. And he's he's had so much success with characters like this. And Saru is really the one that I feel like he gets to put the most of himself into and do the yeah. most like actual acting like this is a dude that like, he was in the the Hellboy movies. But yeah. his voice is overdubbed by someone else. He's yeah. the one that gets the credit in the credits because, uh, 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 uh what was Frazier's brother? <laughs> uh, David Allen Pierce, David Allen Pierce, David, David Hyde Pierce, David Hyde Pierce. I'm sorry, David Hyde Pierce. I was David confusing Hyde him Pierce. with David Allen Greer. Yeah, <laughs> a common is, mistake. Has David Allen Greer been in Star Trek? I'm not sure. I think David Hyde Pierce has been because I think he was in Voyager at some point. Oh, yeah, I think so. It well, would have yeah, been not David, David Allen Greer, not anyway. Yet. <laughs> there's always time anyway but doug jones often plays these these character roles where he is in a suit with a bunch of makeup on him that you don't know who he is and 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 in this he just he gets to be like such an important character and it just comes through saru is one of the best characters to come out of star trek discovery and i i it just I'm so happy for him. I don't know him. I've never met yeah. him. I'm just happy that this person that I've seen in a thousand different things is getting to be like one of the stars of the show and and have so many cool things going on.
1: Yeah. In addition to a very legendary level resume, he's worked with tons of people. Um, a lot with Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> yeah. Looking at what he is able to do with the character of Saru while under all those prosthetics in the uniform on his hands in those boots
0: Uh, in those boots where he's got to do the weird like walking on his tiptoes thing and able to still and move and move (laughs) with that with that swaying of the arms which is such a very seru way that he then has to teach all of the other people playing kelpians how to do it's like this is not a guy this is a guy that that has created not just a character, but an entire alien race based yeah. on what he does.
1: It's just, yeah. it's so cool.
0: Uh, yeah, Couldn't happen to a nicer guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Doug Jones, please. I, I've reached out to you many, many times and we've had very limited, very limited interactions. Please, please come on the show sometime. We would absolutely love to talk to you. Um, Drew, thank you so much for coming on, reading the recap nerding out with me <laughs> as always any parting thoughts before we go.
0: Oh man. uh, You know, I'm going to end this as I opened every episode of our playing of Star Trek adventures, which is a fantastic game by Modiphius entertainment. My name is Drew and I
1: love Star Trek. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Well, folks, last time he was on was for our conclusion of our coverage of enterprise next week. We will welcome back from Cinema Shock and the National Wrestling Alliance. Gary Horn will be here to discuss Discovery Season Two, Episode Seven, Light and Shadows, which is available exclusively on Paramount Plus. Drew, where can people find Cosmic Crit and the More You Nerd and other things you're working on?
0: Uh, yeah, if you are into tabletop role-playing games with a sci-fi and fantasy spin, that is the Cosmic Crit Podcast, where we play the Starfinder uh, RPG game by Paizo Entertainment, the same people who bring you Pathfinder. Uh, that is at CosmicCrit.com and Cosmic Crit wherever podcasts are downloaded. And you can join me and former guest of this show, Miles, uh, as we talk about all sorts of stuff across the the internet and the nerd space on the more you nerd podcast you can find it at com and definitely check us out this summer as we are doing our furious summer campaign where we are watching all of the fast and the furious movies in order
1: for the very first time wow <laughs> and uh where can people bother you directly on the internet
0: Uh, you know i i I don't have a (laughs)
1: like join the cosmic crit discord uh, and you can talk to me all day (laughs) and i am at mr todd a davis on all of the socials from all of us at the computer resumed podcast thank you so much for listening and i'll see you in 10 forward rate review and share on all your favorite platforms feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computer resume podcasts at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter instagram and tiktok the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag L L A P We'll see you next time. Going through a star trick. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing star
0: trek stuff in space <laughs> we probably got some phasers and shuttle pods and we're gonna find a brand new race as that for a slice of fried gold